Welcome to the Venture Church Podcast. We strive to lead people to be God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. Our goal is to tear down the walls that have kept people away from church to help them build a relationship with God, our Creator. We are so glad you're tuning in today. We hope and pray that this leads you to Jesus and His path for your life. So, without further ado, here is today's teaching. Highly funded yet unofficial government agency. INS Division 6. There is no Division 6. Our mission is to monitor extraterrestrial activity on Earth. You're all here because you're the best of the best, and we're looking for one of you. Hey! What's up? You want to get some coffee? You want some coffee? No, thank you. I'm fine. Hey, hey. You guys get along all right? All right, I'm in. From now on, you will have no identifying marks of any kind. You are no longer part of the system. We are the men in black. You know what the difference is between you and me? I make this look good. Tommy Lee Jones. I'm going to count to three. Will Smith. I knew it. This is an alien, and you guys are from some government agency trying to keep it under wraps. Men in Black. Protecting the Earth from the scum of the universe. You know how to use these things? No idea whatsoever. Yes. One of the coolest parts about having church in a movie theater is uh, that sounds cool. Today, we are kicking off one of my favorite annual teaching series. It's the uh, At The Movies series. And the way it works is this. If this is new to you or you don't get it, uh, we, t- we take popular movies and we use them as kind of a platform to dive into God's word. Every single week, our goal is to find truth from the Bible to grow from and to know more about God, how much he loves us, how much he wants to be loved by us. And I'm going to tell stories anyway. I might as well use cool movies. And so uh, all through uh, history, stories have been the best way to lock things into your brain. If your wife were to give you a list of things to pick up from the grocery store, if you're me, you would forget nine of the 10 things. But if she told you a story about the 10 things you needed, like the three little pigs, you'd be like, oh yeah, straw, bricks, sticks, right? Because we get the list, we get the ideas through story. This is how Jesus taught. This is how the whole Old Testament is structured as the stories of people's lives. And even when God is trying to teach us listed things, it's in the context of a story where it's practical. And so Movies are just another great way of storytelling. Um, you've already seen the trailer for today's movie. We uh, Every week are going to kind of keep it a secret and kind of unveil it. So uh, if you like 90s movies, you can kind of look forward to that. You saw it. Men in Black. The Men in Black. Y'all ready for me to sing the whole song? Why this movie? Why would we start with this? This movie came out in 1997. And in 1997, there was no one on the planet cooler than the fresh Prince of Bel-Air himself, Mr. Will Smith. And so this guy rocks out this whole new series, Men in Black. Uh, Will Smith is an icon of the 90s, man. People looked at him for fashion. I'm not sure why when you look back at the pictures, but it was cool. Uh, He was a rapper before he was ever even a TV star, movie star, but you might know his boy DJ Jazzy Jeff. Uh, You might know some of his popular songs. He he taught us how to get jiggy with it, which I'm really thankful for. I didn't know, and now I do. I knew I was welcome in Miami. I knew this is the things that Will Smith let me know. Uh, he, of course, was also the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air on TV. Uh, let's all sing the theme song now. Ready? In, just kidding. Y'all ready, boy? 
This is going to be a good day. We don't have time for that. But um, it, that would be so cool. Uh, and then, of course, he was a movie star. And then among his movies, Independence Day, uh, we got Bad Boys. We got Wild Wild West. What a cool steampunk movie. And, of course, the Men in Black. Men in Black's going on to be a trilogy. Uh, and the, the storyline, you kind of saw it in the trailer there. The idea is that sometime back in the 60s, there was like a government organization that made contact with alien life. And uh, the Men in Black became this institution that was there to kind of help these aliens migrate to Earth and they would disguise themselves as humans, and they would help them kind of find job placement and keep them, you know, plugged in. And basically, the aliens were everywhere. He said mostly in Manhattan, but they're everywhere. And, but the ones that got out of control or misbehaved, well, guess who stepped in? The Men in Black. And I mean, it's a true sci-fi movie. Uh, spaceships. Uh, there's like there's laser guns. There's like top secret headquarters. There's all little kind of neat things going on. Of course, aliens. But it's also a comedy. So a lot of fun things. A lot of slapstick humor. There's this one scene where I think uh, yes, Will Smith helps this lady uh, have a baby in the back of a station wagon, and then he goes, "Congratulations, you have a squid," because it's an alien. And so like there's this funny like humor going on. the, the, what happens, though, for Will Smith's character is key for us today. Uh, Agent K, played by Tommy Lee Jones, uh, recruits Agent J, which is Will Smith, and he explains to him that uh, there's this struggle between these two alien races, and there might be a war on Earth. And so they're doing everything they can to step in the gap and make that not happen. And that's kind of uh, where the movie kicks off. Most humans, myself included, especially in this movie, are not prepared to accept the idea that there's like aliens from other planets, little green men, and you know, coming. And so, one of the men in black's job is to cover up any alien activity. And so, like, if something happens, they've got this really special tool, and it's this little flashlight thing that they shine it in your eyes, and it flashes. It erases your short-term memory, and then they fill in the blanks with a new story. And that's also a pretty funny thing, because Will Smith keeps telling people these stories about what's happening in their life. And they want to make sure they cover it up. And they want to make sure that their little secret operation stays a secret. There are so many different places in this movie where we could jump off to understand some truth about God's word. In fact, as we like, as, as our sermon team, planning team kind of talked about, and I talked with some other pastors who do similar sermon series, we look at the men in black, there's a lot of really good themes in there that could really teach us a lot about some things that God wants us to know. But I decided to land on what might be the most obvious one that we might all miss. In fact, it might be something that you're not even aware of. And it begins with one word. The word is Aliens. Did you know that the Bible teaches that if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, you are an alien? Let's talk about that. Every week, we look to the Bible for answers to life's most important question. Today, I want to use Men in Black as a springboard to dive into this this concept. It's actually one of the biggest concepts in the Bible. As Americans, as humans, really, uh, we would naturally look at the cast of Men in Black, including the CGI characters, and we would most relate with the human characters. But I hope that after we get into God's Word today a little bit, we might step in and go, you know what, maybe I'm more like the freak aliens than I wish to admit, or maybe I should be. 
Um, we're going to be in the Bible today in 1 Peter chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and flip over there. 1 Peter is in the New Testament of the Bible, actually near the very end of the whole Bible. Uh, 1 Peter was a letter written by the Apostle Peter to a bunch of Christians who were going through some really hard persecution. Like people are losing their lives for their faith. There is a point in history, they're under a Roman rule, the Roman you know, empire is in charge, and they start to institute these rules that this religion is illegal. People begin to lose their lives by the hand of the government. People begin to lose their lives by the hand of rioting mobs and by other uh, faith groups who aren't comfortable with having them in their town. And it's here in the context of 1 Peter that Peter tells us that if you're a Christian, you're an alien. If you don't have a Bible today, I'll have the scripture up on the screen behind me. But grab, uh, grab a Bible before you leave today. We've got free ones we give away. They'll be out on the lobby table. Um, and we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse... 11. We're actually going to go back to verse 9 a little bit later, so if you want to mark that or keep your thumb there, but 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 11. Check this out. Peter says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul and live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, this is what's happening in the time, in the culture, they're being accused of doing something wrong. You have this illegal faith. You're wrong. Though you're being accused of doing wrong, they'll see your good deeds and they'll glorify God on the day he visits us. So Peter's writing this letter. Remember, he's writing to this group of scattered Christians. Many of them have run from their home lands because they are scared of the persecution that is upon them. Their lives are in danger because of their faith. And so they are literally living as exiles. I mean, they're like, they're out. They're away from home. They're exiled from home. But there's also like this figurative spiritual analogy that Paul draws. Uh, those words, foreigners and exiles, can we, yeah, leave it up there. Foreigners and exiles. Uh, in other English translations of the Bible, that is actually translated aliens and strangers. The concept is, you ain't from here. This is not your place. Uh, those words, uh, you know, we're not talking about little green men. We're not talking about Martians. The, before there was science fiction as a genre, the word alien meant a foreigner, you know, someone who wasn't, wasn't from here. They don't have citizenship here. They don't have rights here. I don't understand their culture. I don't understand their customs. And so as Paul is writing to these Christians who are living in persecution and they're being beat down by society, he says, listen, I want to encourage you to do something. I want you to live as you are aliens and strangers in this world foreigners, exiles, while you're in that state, I want you to recognize you need to live differently. You need to have different culture. You need to have different mindset. You need to have different ways of communicating. This is imperative to what it means to be a believer in Christ and to live as a Christian. I want to tell you something. If you're here today and you're just visiting and you're not, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, or maybe you would call yourself a Christian, but you're like, I mean, I'm not too deep. I'm not, I wouldn't call myself super religious, which that's probably a good thing. Um, I want you to know, like, this is what a Christian should be. So maybe you're just checking church out and you're kind of deciding where you want to land on, on faith. I want you to know this is a passage where we see this is what Christians should be. Christians should be different. Uh, we're going to get into what that means in just a minute. But I want to say to those of you in the room who claim Christ, which is, I think, most of us in the room, this world, it's not really our turf, it's controlled by evil spiritual forces. It's controlled by mankind who's not down with God. It's controlled by people who wouldn't call Jesus as Lord. And so in a very real way, it's not our place. We're aliens. There's an old song that said, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. 
But we're so willing to, un, to we're so unwilling to recognize that. That there is a spiritual reality and that the physical reality and the spiritual reality don't always line up. Um, there's a scene in Men in Black where Agent K, that's Tommy Lee Jones, he explains something to Will Smith about their alien situation. I want to watch this scene. It's going to teach us a little something, too, about how we can think differently about the world around us once we know Jesus. Check out this scene. All right, kid, here's the deal. At any given time, there are around 1,500 aliens on the planet, most of them right here in Manhattan. And most of them are decent enough. They're just trying to make a living. Cab drivers. Uh, not as many as you'd think. Humans, for the most part, don't have a clue. They don't want one or need one either. They're happy. They think they have a good bead on things. Well, why, why the big secret? People are smart. They can handle it. The person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it. 1,500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was the center of the universe. 500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was flat. And 15 minutes ago, you knew that people were alone on this planet. Imagine what you'll know tomorrow. In a way, uh, if you begin to call yourself a Christian, we find that we have ourselves more in common with a science fiction alien than uh, the rest of the world. But there's a crossover in this analogy with this, uh, no analogy is perfect, and as he's talking, there's this concept of what he says, that humans are they're, they're oblivious, and they're not aware of it, and they're, they're fine with it. They're okay with that. They're okay with not being aware. Uh, we live in a world full of spiritual power. We spent nine weeks this summer talking about uh, Walk the Walk, and that was a series going through the fruit of the Spirit. But the big, big overlying umbrella point of that was that there is a, there's a spiritual reality and there's a fleshly reality, and we have to learn what it means to walk with God's Spirit. Like, how do we tune into what God wants us to do in this world? Not just gratifying the desires of our flesh, but understanding that there's more to this life than just what we touch and feel and hear. There's a spiritual undergirding, a foundation even, to everything that we do. Uh, maybe you've heard of uh, Plato's allegory of the cave. Plato was a philosopher back in ancient uh, Greek times. And uh, this is how it goes. Basically, Plato wasn't a Christian, um, but he discovers or understands something that I think that uh, if really meshes up exactly with what, what Jesus teaches us about reality. And this is what he says. He says, you know, imagine there's a cave and it's full of people who are prisoners in this cave. And they live in darkness. And they're chained inside the cave. And all they can ever do is look at this one wall of the cave. And there's a light source somewhere. Maybe it's a fire behind them. Maybe it's just the opening of the cave behind them. They can never turn around and look at, turn around and look at the light source. They can only ever see this wall. But what happens from time to time is people will walk past the light in front of the light. And as they walk past, they'll cast shadows onto the wall. So somebody walks by, you know, pushing a cart. Well, they see the form of someone pushing a cart, and they see that. And that's all they ever experience their entire life. They never get to leave the cave. And so as they're looking at this, if all they ever see is these shadows, what they begin to accept is that's reality. Those shadows are all that there is. And that's a rough summary of an ancient teaching that goes a lot deeper than that. But I, I, I think this, and this is also true, I think uh, uh, Plato was more concerned with... Um, knowledge than spiritual awareness, but the, the analogy still works perfectly. We get so caught up in temporary stuff in this life. 
how much money is my bank account, how cool are my clothes, how new is my phone, oh, I got a crack in it, I needed to get some new tempered glass or a brand new phone, that's worth $1,000. Like, like we just make these physical decisions based on what we think is just the most important thing, and that becomes our reality. Um, and we act like there is no spiritual existence. Like many people, many of us who say, yes, yes, there's a spiritual world, but we act like it doesn't matter. Or maybe... Maybe we do see it, but it's so hard for us to understand that we don't even know what to do about it. It's interesting that in the Bible, um, there's this concept, Jesus talks about it, John talks about it, a lot of people talk about it, it's in Isaiah and the Old Testament, a lot of people talk about it, there's this concept of walking in darkness, and that Jesus brings the light of God into the world so that we're not walking in darkness anymore. I think it's cool that an ancient Greek philosopher also saw it as light and darkness and shadows. Uh, but I want to get back to our verse in 1 Peter because it all starts to go together. We were starting in verse 11. I want to rewind just to verse 9 now, okay? Because how did Peter get to this place where he calls us aliens and strangers and asks us to act a different way? In 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 9, he says, but you, now he's talking to these believers who are scattered because of the persecution, but I want us to understand he's also talking to anyone who claims Jesus. He's saying, but you, you are a chosen people. He makes a list, so make a little list in your head if you want to. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. There it is again, light and darkness. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. When God instructs us on how to live in the Bible, one major teaching uh, is this idea of being called out, being called out, being uh, kind of pulled from a group and called out. There's a big like, theological word for that. It's called sanctification and holiness. That all kind of goes together, that you are set apart for the purpose of God, and that in that moving, you begin to, the process of knowing more what it means to live like God wants you to leave, believe, live like, and even like the forgiveness of sins and stuff is part of that called out and that's the first thing that, uh, that Peter tells us in this passage. There's a list of them. And the first thing he says, listen, you're a chosen people. If you think about an adopted child, there's a beauty to that because a parent goes to a place, to an organization, or finds a person that just needs love, and they say, I choose you, and I'm all in on, on you. And God says, listen, you're chosen you are called out. You are set apart. You are picked by me. I chose you. You are chosen. Um, as a result, like your, your citizenship, your, the ownership of your kind of life, your soul, it kind of shifts, and this world is no longer your home. You've got a heavenly father. You are a chosen people. The second thing it says is you are a royal priesthood. There's a lot we could say about this, but this means you have a job. Like most of you didn't sign up to be a priest, uh, a pastor, or any kind of person like that. You're like, now nah, I went to college for a different thing. Sorry, Charlie. Like if you choose Jesus, you are a priest. It's called the priesthood of believers. The priest is the person that goes in intercession between a human and God in any religion. But God says, listen, you don't need this special person to do that. As soon as I choose you and call you out and give you the opportunity to live for me, you now have a job to do. And that is to tell other people about what I can do for them. 
It's also to, to, uh, to step in the stead for them. When they don't know how to react in this world, you say, listen, let me, let me just pray with you. Let me pray for you. Let me show you what God has. I could, like I said, I can say so much about that. But he says, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. The third thing he says there is, we are his special possession. Oh, man. A lot of you guys are parents. You know that one toy? that's like dirty and it's the baby doll missing an eyeball and an arm and the ratty old blanket is wrapped in. But man, that child loves that toy. Who am I talking to? I got, got a lot of college students here. You guys are still sleeping with that toy. You know, right? <laughs> we love this thing in our life. There's a, and it, whatever it is, it's a, it's a special possession. God says, listen, if you're my special possession, and I want to say this clearly, he's saying this to a group of believers because we have a job to do, we have, but this is for the whole world. God loved the whole world. That's what we talked about last week in the park. We're all his special possession. The question is, are we going to live in it? We're a special possession. And because of that, we have like a, a task that God wants us to do. And it's so simple, but it can be so hard. And you read about it. We already read about it in the second part of verse nine. He says this, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You've been chosen You've been anointed as priests. You're my special possession. You're a holy nation, and he calls them, calls us, and he says, and the reason is so that you can declare the praises of God because you were brought out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Anyone, anyone ever just tell you really good news when you were having a bad day? That's what it feels like to be brought out of darkness into light. And you got that heaviness, and then you're like, Oh, this is so much better. But it's on an eternal and a spiritual level. level. And he finishes up in verse 10. We can put that back up there. He says, and once you were not a people. The movie Men in Black is a movie about immigration, <laughs> largely aliens coming to earth and finding their citizenship and all this kind of stuff. He says, you, you were once not a people. You didn't have a citizenship. You were just roaming around on this earth with all the patriotism in the world for whatever nation you live in. But the reality is you can't keep it forever. You were once not a people, but now you're a people. And you once didn't have mercy, but now you have mercy. In Men in Black, whenever normal people see an alien, they have a couple different reactions. Uh, the first reaction they might have is they might freak out. Oh my goodness, ah! they run around, it's crazy. The second reaction they might have is they try to convince themselves that what they just saw, they did not see. <laughs> okay, that was just, that's just how cab drivers are, you know, and they just keep walking. The third reaction, though, is pretty interesting. And there's one character in the movie that, that does a great, great job of this. They see the alien. They don't freak out. They don't try to explain it away. Then they say, I knew it. I knew there were aliens. I knew something was going on around here. Now, this, is, this is a sci-fi movie, okay? I Take how you want to with aliens. But I think that when we get into talking about Jesus, the same thing is true today. When people encounter someone who is truly living for God with their life, they got a couple of different reactions they can have. Today, there are people in our city um, who think that faith, religion is stupid. They think it's dumb. Your friends who know that you get up early to come to church on Sunday morning, especially those of you who get here real early to help set up in a movie theater, like, why you do that? Don't they have a church that already has a building somewhere? Like, why are you doing that? That's dumb. They think, and they just, they kind of freak out on us. And they're like, why are you doing this? This is a waste of your time. They'll push against it. The people Paul was writing to, uh, they had it worse than that. <laughs> they didn't even have to get to church at 7.30 to set up. Uh, they were being killed for their faith. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be uh, a Christian and have a, a non-Christian friend in that time? Like, dude, why don't you just renounce your faith? 
your family would be much safer. You know, there are Christians around the world today who are in the same situation. Yet for some reason, we talked about that last week as well, for some reason, they continue the faith. Because knowing God, being known by God, loving God and being loved by God, it changes something about you. People look at us and this rejection happens in the world because it seems alien. Back in the 90s, because we're in the 90s, there was a popular Christian group called DC Talk and they talked about being Jesus freaks. And it was this idea like we got to be freaks in this world. And because this is what a freaky thing a Christian believes. The, the, the Christian believes that there is one true God in the entire universe and he's the creator of everything. Not only that, he decided he was going to become a human named Jesus and that he was going to give his own life and die in a public execution, but by his own power, he's going to raise himself from the dead. Okay, things are getting weird. And not only that, that if you believe that that happened, God will forgive you for your sins and give you eternal life. That's what a Christian believes. And let's be honest, in the world's mind, that is weird. That is crazy. And what's even weirder is that we feel like everybody else needs to believe that too. We're aliens and strangers in this world. And it's this alien idea to this world. I want to step aside from that idea and make something really clear. We talk about the world a lot. Uh, Jesus did. The world is not the enemy. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. The world is not the enemy. They are people that Jesus loves, that he laid his life down for. The Bible says that our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the spiritual forces of this dark world. There's a spiritual battle going on for each one of our souls. So what do we do? Well, here, here's the deal. We read it earlier. It was in verse 11. And I want to put it back on the screen. This is the advice to someone who believes all that and is a freak in this world. He says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. So first of all, we need to understand that there is good and there is evil. And when we engage in evil, it wages war against our soul. And it separates us from God, not because God is some hate monger stick in the mud who just wants to push us down, but because he's like, speaking of being called out and being holy, I am holy, I am pure. And when you engage in evil, man, that makes our relationship not compatible So let me cover that for you. Let me give you a place of grace and forgiveness. But Paul's advice, listen, since you are aliens and strangers, you need to act different. You need to think different. The book of James says that sin begins as a small seed in our mind. Jesus says that thinking things sometimes are as bad as doing them. Thinking different is a major part of this alien mentality that we begin to to try to take. Uh, You don't have to be weird or disagreeable to be an alien. I think that's where some Christians have gotten it really wrong. Our goal is to just be obstinate and in people's face and offensive to people who don't agree with us. I I disagree with that completely. In the book of Colossians, the apostle Paul writes this, Colossians 4, 5 through 6. He says, instead, you should be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity, not to cut them down and make them feel unrighteous and unholy, because who are you? (laughs) But instead, let your conversation always be full of grace and seasoned with salt so that you will know how to answer everyone. And so the first advice Peter gives us in that, our main passage is that as you're living as aliens and strangers in this world, foreigners and exiles, live differently. Just live differently. And I don't think I need to do a much longer sermon on that. I think a lot of us would be like, yeah, I know the five things I need to change right now or that I'm working on right now. 
He also says in Romans chapter 12, verse two, this is Paul again, not Peter. He says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed, transformed by the renewing of your mind. I just spent some time talking about our mind. What does it mean to live as an alien in this world? When you accept Jesus into your life, you start this process of transformation. It's this rinse and repeat process, like a sponge. You ever get a dirty sponge and have to use it again because you didn't have time to go to the grocery store? So you're like, you gotta just rinse this thing out real good? That's what happens with our mind. When you first become a believer in Jesus, your mind is still gonna be full of the filth that it was full of yesterday. And guess what? Five years later, a lot of it's still gonna be in there. It's the transformation process, though, that when God calls us out, he says, I'm going to work on you. I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to make you holy by the washing of, with my word, is what it says in Ephesians chapter 5. It's a process of transformation, so it keeps going. Listen, Jesus, we're all still being transformed to this day. Myself, I'm being transformed to this day. But that's what it means to live as an alien, a stranger in this world, to be called out, to be a chosen people. They say, all right, okay. Okay, I'm gonna allow this transformation to happen. And so we've been looking at um, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12 was the whole bulk of it. You might be familiar with a version of the Bible called The Message. Pretty cool translation of the Bible. I actually came out in the 90s, so I think that's relevant. But uh, in, in, in the Message version of the Bible, what he does is he takes, uh, this guy Eugene Peterson translated the, the whole uh, the whole Bible with his team. And, uh, and his goal is to really almost paraphrase. It's not a full paraphrase, but it's a translation of the Bible that paraphrases it into like the most understandable version of those sentences that you could have. And uh, he wanted it to be kind of a, almost like a street slang Bible. Like this is like, everyone can understand this. So I want to read our whole passage again, but this time we're going to read it with a new lens on, okay? Especially if you've read this passage a lot of times, I want you to read it with a new lens on and hear it just in a, re, a reimagined way. This is 1 Peter 2, starting at verse 9. But you, you are the, cho- the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instrument to do his work and to speak out for him and to tell others of the night and day difference that he made for you. From nothing to something from rejected to accepted. Friends, this world is not your home. So don't make yourselves cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives. Sometimes just seeing a verse from a different angle puts a different perspective on it. In other words, be an alien in this world. <laughs> Why? Because we're preparing for a better world. We have citizenship in a kingdom that lasts forever and a king that reigns supreme over everything. And what does this look like in our practical lives? Well, parents, a lot of you are parents. How does that affect your parenting? Sure, you know, grades and your kids' performance in school is important. Their behavior is important. Getting them ready for a good resume so they can go off to school and do other things are important. Uh, Entertainment is important. Fortnite is important, I guess. It's like there's lots of things that this life could be about. But if your home is not a place where your kids are being taught that God loves them and they need to live for a spiritual reality, then parents were doing it wrong. All the other stuff is just temporary. 
But we've got to get down on a practical level and say, what are my kids learning about God's love for them and how they can love him back? Most of us got jobs, right? How does this work practically in the job place? You know, a lot of us go to work for one reason, to get off on Friday. Like, that's what you're like, I don't know, I got to go. Everyone's got to go. We also go to earn money. We go for the bottom line. Maybe we go because we really believe in the business that we work for. And those are all really good things. But you know what happens when you're at work? You're with other human beings, and you get to live as an alien and a stranger so that people who don't know God can see your behavior and give glory to God. And suddenly, you can stand out and be a freak. Not belligerent, not a fool, but someone who can have every opportunity to leave someone closer to God. How does that work in your neighborhood? You got neighbors, right? Guess what? That neighborhood is not your home. Your neighborhood is not just a neighborhood because it had the cool pool and the better crime record. It's a mission field that God has planted you in. And there's a phrase I love. We need to bloom where we're planted. Produce fruit right there. So that the people around you, maybe in the house that you live in, maybe your next door neighbors, what are their names? What are their needs? Learn that stuff. That's what it means to live as an alien and a stranger in this world. This past week, it was Monday night, um, a little after midnight. Uh, my family lost a family member. Uh, my step-granddad, Russ Smith, 81 years old. Sorry, 91 years old. He gets a whole extra credit, 10 more years. 91 years old. He breathed his last breath. He'd been in failing health for years. And, you know, when my grandma, my grandfather passed away back in 2002, I think it was, uh, Russ came to the rescue. He was already an old man. And he uh, had already had a great marriage and his wife had passed away. And But he called my, my grandma and was like, I mean, we're both single now, so <laughs> want to hook up? He moved here from Texas and started taking care of my grandma, and we love him for that. He, he, did, a, he did a really wonderful thing there. Um, Russ became a Christian as a young man. He decided to become a preacher. He went to a place called Roanoke Bible College. You might know today as Mid-Atlantic Christian University, and from there learned a lot about God's word. And then he began preaching at local churches, and he preached in North Carolina and Virginia and West Virginia and I think Kentucky. He eventually moved to uh, Texas for a long time. And over that period of time, he won hundreds of people to Jesus. He led church, and he saw people, uh, movements happen, and families change. And here's the thing about Russ. He was a good, godly man, and he showed people what it meant to live differently. He wasn't perfect. He wasn't always right. Don't tell him that, but (laughs) he wasn't always right. But he loved Jesus and he decided to live differently. And when, when he died this week, we were happy for him because after 91 years of living in this world, that wasn't his home. He finally got to go home. In the modern church, we don't talk a lot about death or heaven or hell. That's because most of uh, the the generation before this one, that's all they talked about. (laughs) And we're a little bit tired of it. But that's reality. And Jesus gives us a way back home. Russ isn't with us in this life anymore. But you know what he was able to do while he was here? He placed his citizenship in heaven. The kingdom of God. And he was able to help bring the kingdom of God to earth. One choice at a time. And that's what we're called to do. When Jesus was walking the earth, he said, everyone repent, which is basically the first part of that verse in First Peter. Stop living like that. But he said, repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. 
church family, venture church, visitors. That's what we're here to do in this city. We're here to bring the kingdom of God to earth through every loving decision that we make and through every selfless act that we do and through every act of repentance and saying, man, I screwed up, my bad. Every time we do that, we get to glorify God as his chosen possession, as a royal priesthood, as one's called out from nothing into something and given mercy. Men in Black is just a movie. Um, Pretty good one, but just a movie. At least that's what the guy in the black suit told me right before he flashed me with the light, so I'm not really sure. Um, But there is a reality, and that is that God loves us, and he wants us to tell the world about it, and he wants us to live as aliens and strangers in this world. Let me pray for us today. God, we love you dearly. Um, and uh, none of us like the idea of being outcasts or freaks. Um, some of us experience that as kids maybe, or maybe even now, bullying or being not accepted. But you, uh, you accept us. You make us. That song we just sang, you know, the person you call free is free indeed. And, and we're a child of yours, and we're who you say we are. And So help us to accept that promise and live in it. Lord, I pray for anyone that's in this room this morning who... Um, is just getting this for the first time, or maybe they, it's been a while since they've talked much about God. Lord, I pray that they can like, accept that and know that that's true and maybe make a decision like Amanda's made and is going to celebrate today in her baptism. Um, just that we can make that decision one by one and then shine that light to the world. Lord, we love you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.